You are listening to the Forcecom Frontline, bringing you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. Welcome to the first episode of the Forcecom Frontline podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Eve. And we'll be your host. But before we even get started, I just want to say how good it is to see you, Eve. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. I'm out of my house for the first time <laughs> in what feels like forever. We have been working at home for almost a year now, it seems, just coming into the office here and there. Mm-hmm. And so this podcast brought us back to the building. I'm so glad. And I get a day off from being a third grade teacher, which is awesome. I feel you. Our house has been kind of crazy recently, and so it's really nice to feel normal again. So... Good to see you. Now let's go ahead and get started. Let's, um, how about we start with telling everybody a little bit about us and what we hope to accomplish. Sounds good. As I'm sure everyone's figured out by now, my name is Eve and I'm one of your hosts. I'm an army veteran turned army civilian. I've been lovingly sucked into the Fort Bragg vortex and have been living and working in the area for the past 15 years. Like many of you, I've served around the world and now I'm super excited to be a part of this podcast and have the opportunity to help share the stories of what U.S. Army Forces Command soldiers are doing to ensure our Army is not only ready now, but also how they're developing the future force through our modernization efforts. Ashley? All right, I'm Ashley, and I'm an Army spouse and a mother of two kiddos. I've worked at Forcecom for about a year and a half now, and so like we just said, that means I've spent most of my time here actually working from home. Um, I've done public affairs for about 12 years, and one of my absolutely favorite parts about public affairs is the people that I get to meet and the stories that I get to tell, which is one of the reasons I was so interested in starting this podcast. I truly want the rest of the country or the world, for that matter, to hear the stories that I get to hear and to meet the people that I get to meet. Everyone has a unique story, and I really love getting to share these stories. And so with that, I guess it's a good transition to talking about what we hope to do with this podcast. Ooh, I get the tough one. So our goal is to have real conversations with real soldiers, not ones filled with scripted talking points. We want to help tell their stories and share their diversity. Our army is comprised of so many amazing individuals from all walks of life, and they've all come together for one common purpose, service to our nation. We plan to cover the topics that have dominated the narrative of our country and our army for the last year race, extremism, suicide, and sexual harassment and assault, and how these tough issues affect the readiness of our force. But while those topics are important and do affect readiness, we want to give you the whole picture, because Forcecom is the leader in providing ready forces for missions around the globe. We're going to talk to soldiers fielding new equipment and introduce you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. So now that you know a little bit about us and this podcast, let's get started with our first guest. And it's only fitting that the first person we have on the podcast is our Forcecom Commanding General, General Michael Garrett. General Garrett has been the Forcecom Commanding General for nearly two years now. Not only has he served for more than 30 years, but he also grew up as an Army brat. Additionally, as you'll soon hear, General Garrett is super passionate about the Army and the soldiers who serve within it. Well, welcome to the very first Forcecom podcast, General Garrett and we're really happy to see you. I feel like I just saw you yesterday getting your COVID vaccine. You don't seem to have any extra eyes or limbs or anything. No, and uh, you know, and that's good. Um, it's good that leaders are taking the shot and uh, soldiers are seeing that, uh, but we need younger leaders, you know, like platoon sergeants and platoon leaders. Uh, and it would also be good if they were women, you know, because there's a lot of concern out there. Um, so we got a little bit more work to do to convince everyone that the science is accurate, the shot is safe, 
uh, and this is the best thing we can do for the Army. What I keep asking uh, General Bailey, you know, the force comm surgeon, is to help me understand, though, uh, the benefit of a vaccinated force. I mean, because, you know, we all kind of think that, uh, you know, we're excited about the vaccine because, you know, that is another step towards normalcy, maybe. Uh, but I tell you what, I mean, uh, today we still have a lot of soldiers that don't want to take it. Um, and, you know, the real benefit is having most of the Army take it. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. that's where that's where the vaccine is going to be beneficial. So we have we had a lot of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. Normalcy sounds wonderful. I feel like we've kind of just been trapped and working from home and it would just be really nice to get back to something that looks familiar. Yeah, I, I don't know what familiar is going to be, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, you know, there there are a I, I think some of the stuff that we've learned is good. Right. I mean, um, you know, uh, there are certainly advantages to uh, virtual meetings. Um, I mean, you can in some cases you can have bigger audiences. Um, so there's there's a lot that we have learned. And I think we have pushed on some of our, our old thinking in terms of telework, for instance. Uh, but but here's the other thing, though, you know, like today, uh, I think uh, we are less than 40 percent here in the building. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, my, my sense is that uh, even when everyone's vaccinated, there are going to be some folks who go, hey, look, I did my job for a year yeah. from That's the house. Why do I need to go to work? Right. So I think I think it's going to I think it's going to force the Army, you know, to relook. Uh, and it's not just the Army, but, you know, what we care about um, is, is the Army. And it's going to force us to relook, you know, our telework policies and how we're, yeah. you know, how we, how we consider our workforce. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, how we consider our workforce and stuff, the foundational training days, they're in full effect. And I know Ashley wanted to ask you a couple of things about those. Yeah, so the goal of foundational training days was, you know, get our teams together, let's get to know each other, have conversations and start those hard conversations. What can you talk about your vision for Foundational Training Day? Yeah, so, um, and you know, the folks that know me well, um, and I think this is what senior leaders, you know, endeavor to do most days, and that is to take very, very complex problems and to simplify them so that, you know, uh, people understand. Um, and that's really what we're trying to do, to do here. I mean, we're, we're wrestling with some very, very complex issues. And, uh, you know, we have pushed our army hard. Uh, you know, those of us, uh, you all included, you know, as military spouse, I mean, we, we, we push our army hard, uh, and I'm not sure we recognize, uh, you know, what we've done to our army. And uh, I tell you, this year has really forced us to, you know, uh, shine a light on, you know, areas of the army that probably haven't paid as close enough attention to. Um, and, um, you know, we talk about, you know, this started really with uh, the death of George Floyd and, and really the American conscience, uh, you know, that was kind of shocked in reality as we watched across the country, you know, as our nation dealt with, uh, you know, uh, racism that has always existed. Uh, but, you know, depending on where you are, you don't have to see it, you can ignore it. Uh, and I'll be honest, I think in, inside of the military, you know, we do that. Uh, and so that's really where it started. I mean, if you think about it, last year was a tough year. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a tough, tough year. Uh, and so that started, 
that started this, uh, you know, conversation. You know, it forced the, our army leaders to think about, you know, institutional racism, and what does that mean uh, for our army? Uh, and then, you know, uh, add on top of that uh, the death of a tremendously talented young uh, soldier uh, from Fort Hood, uh, specialist Vanessa Guillen. Um, and her just tragic death, which was just horrible, right? When you think about uh, when you think about that, but you know that forced us, you know, again to look at sexual harassment and sexual assault, um, and uh, again, I mean, you know, not just shun. This was a the the national, you know, kind of spotlight. Uh, on one place in our army that, you know, kind of represents a challenge that we have across the army. Uh, and then, you know, the, um, it's really, it just breaks my heart. Um, you know, it seemed like every day, uh, you know, I'd get a, a, a report from the G3 on some young soldier or some family member. Uh, and think about this now, this is not just, uh, Forcecom is a huge organization. And so, um, you know, active and reserve component soldiers that, you know, chose to uh, commit suicide uh, as opposed to, you know, in some cases seeking help. So anyways, um, you know, the Sergeant Major of the Army, uh, and you've heard me talk about, you know, uh, the SMA before, uh, you know, he's just an incredibly, he's, he's, he, he's a, as I've said, he would be my favorite the best NCO in the Army that I've ever seen if it weren't for my father. I mean, he, he's that good. Uh, but you know, the Sergeant Major, uh, and this is my squad initiative, uh, really is focused on, um, you know, the relationship that, you know, we want to exist between uh, the leader uh, and the led. Um, you know, um, if to, and, and to have a real relationship. Um, you know, as we look at, uh, um, you know, the, the racism and we look at the institutional racism and, and start, you know, working through things like unconscious bias, uh, you know, that forced us to, to encourage uh, conversations that, you know, we would otherwise avoid you know, to talk about really hard issues. And race has always been, you know, a hard issue. Yeah. I mean, who, you know, it's funny, I'd, I'd hijack squads on my long runs on our dens. And, um, you know, we'd pull off, I'd say, hey, let me take five minutes with you. And I really, I'd hijack and we'd pull off on the side <laughs> of the road and we'd have this discussion. And, uh, you know, I'd look at the, you know, one white soldier and I'd say, hey, how, how easy it for, is it for you to talk to this black soldier uh, about race? And it's funny, you know, one guy was like, Sure, we're not talking about that. Why would I talk about that? <laughs> who talks about that, yeah. right? But there were other people who said, sir, I talk about it all the time. You know, this is my brother or this is my sister. Um, but the one thing that, you know, that I heard often that's just not true is it doesn't exist in our army. Yeah. You know, it doesn't exist in my organization. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, getting back to, you know, foundational training day. Foundational training day is Garrett's you know, very simplistic approach uh, to forcing uh, our leaders to spend time uh, on things that may not rise to the level of priority for them. Yeah. 
and so this is what Garrett, you know, what, what uh, Garrett and Cornelison and now Garrett and Sims, you know, we said, hey, we are going to take a day a month. And that's a, that's a huge commitment, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about it. But we're going to take a day a month. And the purpose of that day is to improve the relationships between uh, our leaders. And these are leaders from team leaders up through, you know, me, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and our soldiers. Um, you know, our most precious resource uh, is time. And especially in the business that, that we are in Enforcecom, we're in a readiness business. That's what I get paid to do. We get paid to ensure that our forces are ready to fight tonight. That's, that's why we exist. Uh, but you know what? By the same token, uh, you know, if we want that fighting force to be cohesive, um, you know, this is the kind of thing that we have to devote to it. So that's what drove it. And, um, you know, we're, I think we're uh, probably two or three months into this, and uh, I think we're making good progress. Yeah, my husband actually came home after his unit had a foundational training day, and he said it was really enlightening for him. He learned things about his soldiers that he just, he didn't know and wouldn't have known otherwise. Um, and he thought that that would really help him be a better leader. So he, he enjoyed it and is, you know, hopefully taking what he learned and applying that to his soldiers, so yeah. But it can't be episodic, right? I mean, right. and that's really where our soldiers you know, the, I talked about the three corrosives and, and, you know, and we'll keep coming back to that. Uh, but, you know, what that has really resulted in is this um, a loss of trust, uh, you know, between soldiers and their leaders, uh, between, in some cases, the American public uh, and our army. Uh, I mean, think about the mother who sends, uh, you know, their son or daughter uh, to the military uh, only to be, uh, you know, murdered, you know, by one of our own. Think about the mom or dad, um, you know, who uh, is proud that uh, their son or daughter has joined the army and is wearing the uniform uh, only to receive a call in the middle of the night that their son or daughter killed themselves, right? Um, you know, those things break trust, uh, you know, with the people that, uh, you know, we, we, uh, you know, swear an oath to the Constitution to defend the Constitution, but it, it, it is the American people. Um, so we, we would just have more work to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we even have them in our office, and we're a mix of military and civilian. And so I think that a lot of times it's like soldier, 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 and that we're civilian as well. And we all have extremely different experiences, and we're communicators. Mm -hmm. So we're supposed to be able to talk about this, and we've learned a lot and had some really interesting and at times uncomfortable conversations, especially, um, you know, beyond just race, but just I used to wear the uniform and some of the experiences I had as a woman wearing the uniform. And I mean, it was, it brought up some things that I had since buried. So I think that these days are a really great opportunity to kind of address things. Yeah, I tell you even, it's, uh, you know, what's interesting is uh, every, um, Every soldier, I mean, has a story, but I, you know, it's just amazing to me, um, you know, the women that I talk to and their experiences in the army. Um, you know, what what we know or what I know is that most of our challenges are in our platoons. Uh, you know, it's just amazing if you talk to a young soldier, uh, her experience, um, 
and, and I'm using uh, both, you know, men and women are harassed and assaulted, but it's pr principally women. Um, but if you look at where most of it happens, it's inside of our platoons. Uh, and, if you, and if you look at where we have really lost trust, uh, where there is a huge trust deficit is with our young soldiers, you know, uh, our, our young uh, enlisted uh, female soldiers and their chain of command. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me, I talked to, I, I talked to uh, five women uh, here, um, and, and in this case they all happen to be military uh, majors and lieutenant colonels, and they were all superstars. I mean, they were really, I mean, just really impressive. But I tell you what, they have a whole different view of, of uh, sexual harassment and sexual assaults than our young soldiers. Uh, and, I, and I think some of that has to do maybe with a little bit more experience of not just the soldiers, but the environment that they're operating in. Um, you know, the, the one uh, common theme uh, that I kind of observed during, you know, the sessions that I had with young female soldiers was that uh, it's that first line supervisor, right? It's that E5, E6 who uh, is responsible for their, their well-being, their life, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and what happens is, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, the harassment, uh, you know, the, the uh, untoward comments, the innuendo, uh, you know, it's always just pushing a limit, pushing a limit, pushing a limit. And, and, and the young soldier, you know, has to, you know, in her mind, figure out, what is harassment and what am I going to report, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is my boss. Yeah. This, is the per this is my boss that, you know, I'm going to report uh, on. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think, you know, forcing our soldiers uh, to have this conversation, uh, you know, I think looking at, uh, you know, other ways uh, for uh, soldiers to report, mm -hmm. uh, and, and we're doing some of that now, uh, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, the, the, we have, uh, the Army um, has been under pressure for a number of years uh, to look outside of, you know, the Army, you know, to have someone outside of the Army um, uh, adjudicate our, our um, allegations of sexual assault. And I'll be honest with you, uh, what I know is that we've not made as much progress as we want. We've made a lot of progress. Uh, and, you know, I'm open to doing anything that, that helps us uh, be better. Yeah. Now, we've talked a lot about 2020 and Black Lives Matter and COVID and everything else. And this being Black History Month, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about your experience. Having, whether personal or professional in the Army, did you ever experience racism? Is there something that sticks out in your mind that has kind of stuck with you? You know, I'm... Uh, I grew up, I've spent my whole life um, in these very um, exclusive gated communities, right? Fort Benning, Georgia. <laughs> uh, I mean, think, but think about it, yeah. right? I mean, I grew up, so I grew up at Fort Benning, Georgia uh, during the Vietnam War. My father went to Vietnam twice. Uh, you know, I can remember uh, Lieutenant Callie's uh, trial. It was right there at Fort Benning. Uh, and, um, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, where I lived, uh, down where all the NCO kids lived. 
Uh, you know, there certainly seem to be uh, more people of color uh, on that side of post uh, than on, you know, where the officers lived, you mm -hmm. know, up on the, uh, the other side of post. Um, you know, as I, as I, you know, think about my dad's experiences and listening to my father and my mother, uh, I mean, there were, uh, there, were, there were people that my father, I mean, these were people that he worked for, uh, you know, when he was a division, uh, you know, core level sergeant major. So we're talking about senior leaders in the Army. And there were people, uh, you know, that my dad uh, was just absolutely certain uh, were racist, um, you know. And, and so my dad's experience um, and, you know, what he chose to share of it with me, because it was not a whole bunch, right? Uh, was certainly different than my my experience. Um, you know, I don't know if some of that is, uh, you know, coming into the Army, um, you know, in my office, there's uh, my first Army picture, really. It's me and my dad on my commissioning day, right? So Sergeant Major and Second Lieutenant Garrett, um, or Fort Stewart, my first duty assignment, you know, Second Lieutenant Garrett, and then Division Command Sergeant Major, you know, Garrett. Uh, so a little bit, little bit different there. Um, and here, here's what I would tell you, and, and I've really given this, I've been asked this question uh, a lot over the last year, and my answer has, usually, has generally been, um, you know, that I have not experienced uh, overt racism. I mean, nobody is, but you know, uh, I have certainly been around a whole bunch of racists. Uh, you know, um, I remember as a lieutenant in 1st Ranger Battalion, and, and, you know, the Rangers even to this day are uh, not very diverse organizations. Um, but I can remember as a lieutenant in 1st Ranger Battalion, uh, you know, being, you know, I think then maybe one of two black officers in that battalion. Um, but I remember my platoon sergeant, you know, coming up to me saying, hey, sir, we got a problem. He, I said, what's that? He goes, well, the squad leaders don't know if they can work for you. And that's not exactly how they said it, right? But they don't know if they can work for you because you're black. And I, you know, I said, well, I said, well, what do you, you know, what do you, what do you think we got to do about this, there, platoon sergeant? He goes, nothing. He goes, I just want you to know. It's all right. Uh, and so, you know, people who spent time in the Ranger Regiment can appreciate this. But you know, uh, a few months later, uh, you know, we were out on an exercise, and you know, the bottom line is, uh, you know, something happened on one of our, you know, platoon live fires that we were out doing by ourselves. That could have gotten uh, a lieutenant fired, or probably had gotten a lieutenant fired, right? Uh, and back then in the regiment, and even today, you know, NCOs ran that organization, right? So if your platoon sergeant went to uh, the first sergeant uh, and said, hey, Garrett is not very good, he doesn't need to be here, you wouldn't be there. And so anyways, this thing happens, and we're walking, and we had a 10-mile walk back to wherever we were going, and the whole time I'm going, okay, well, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the boot, right? I'm going to get fired. And... Uh, as we're walking, the platoon sergeant goes, uh, and he, he could see that I was, you know, thinking about this, but he goes, he goes, hey, sir, I talked to uh, the squad leaders. We're good. Well, now I got another dilemma, right? You know, do I tell my company commander uh, yeah. about this? But the point was, um, you know, there were, you know, I mean, and, you know, my squad leaders were, you know, white, southern, uh, you know, 25 to 28-year-old men. Um, and um, they hadn't been around uh, a lot of uh, black people where they lived or even, and certainly not in the organization they were in. 
But you know, that day they made a decision, right? They made a decision that, hey, we'll keep, we'll keep this, we'll keep this guy. Uh, but, but I will tell you this, uh, I've always felt that I had to work harder. I uh, always felt that, uh, you know, regardless of what the job was, uh, that there was a different standard, you know, uh, for Mike Garrett than there was for everybody else. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's just, you know, another thing to kind of carry around uh, for your career. Yeah. So you started talking about your dad, yeah. and your dad served for 35 years, yeah. mm -hmm. retired as a command sergeant major, mm -hmm. um, and he is what led you to, to want to serve in the military. So can you talk a little bit about how he influ influenced you? Yeah, like I said, you know, my dad's, uh, you know, he's uh, the best soldier I've ever known. Um, um, and, and just like every, you know, everybody else, I mean, I grew up in a very strict household, uh, you know, um, and, and I think that was kind of normal, you know, for the time. I think about, you know, the people that lived on Kegel Loop with me growing up and whose parents, whose fathers were going back and forth, you know, to Vietnam and, um, but you know, I, I watched my, you know, I watched my dad. We had four, there's four of us, four, four kids, me and three younger sisters. Uh, you know, my my dad joined the army when he was 16. Um, didn't have a high school degree, um, and uh, education was very important, you know, to him. And uh, so, you know, his kids went to Catholic school from kindergarten pretty much through college. Uh, and he and my mother, you know, figured out how to, you know, pay for that on, you know, uh, what I can remember, GS4. You know, I remember my mom being a GS4 working at finance and, you know, my dad being a platoon sergeant, you know, first sergeant. Uh, my father uh, could do everything. I mean, he could fix cars. Uh, he could sew. I mean, he would make our clothes. I remember one of my favorite uh, outfits. Um, can't remember how old I was, but maybe in the eighth or ninth grade, but I remember, you know, he made me this Michael Jackson jumpsuit thing <laughs> with a little gold glittery shirt. Did you, Did you have the thriller? This was, this was before the, this is when he was young, <laughs> Michael Jackson. You know, we're talking like in the 60s and 70s uh, now, but you know, my point is, you know, my dad was a renaissance man before we start talking about stuff like that. I mean, he could do everything, cook, so, um, but he was a really, really hard person, you know, growing up. Um, and so, um, you know, what I did is I watched, you know, I, I grew up on military installations and, you know, um, I watched my mom and dad, um, you know, it was a, an environment that I thought was fair. Uh, it was one that I was comfortable in. Um, and, uh, you know, every time we fly out to Fort Bliss, you know, I tell, I probably tell the same story to these guys, but, you know, we fly out there and I say, oh, yeah, we were here. I lived over here in Biggs Field. My dad was in a single digit Sergeant Major course. It was only six months. And so we, we moved from Georgia in the summer to Fort Bliss. And then we moved from Fort Bliss to Germany, uh, oh, wow. you know, over the new year because it was only six month course back then. And uh and went to Germany. So anyways, so just watching this, really comfortable with the Army. And, you know, like a lot of kids, uh, really hadn't figured out what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. Well, anyways, comes, you know, my junior, senior year in high school. Uh, and remember now, my mom and dad never went to college, right? And so this is something. And my dad's a smart guy, and he's talking to, uh, uh, you know, I was a good athlete there. All the, you know, uh, all of the senior leaders at the time, uh, and Baumholder, and that was uh, Baumholder at that time, 
uh, was part of uh, Eighth Infantry Division and in Baumholder, the one of the the uh, one stars, uh, maybe two of them, but a one star lived there. Uh, one of the, the deputy commanding generals, and then uh, you know the Devardi commander, uh, one of the infantry brigade commanders, and probably some other stuff. Um, and then my dad was, you know, a a, a brigade sergeant major there. Um, he had a couple of, uh, you know, as he tried to help me figure out this college thing, he had a couple of West Point graduates and lieutenants come over. And, and you know, I, I hope that somebody pushes back on some of this stuff because I only remember the way I remember it. And it might not be right. It's been a long time. We're going to get a call from your sister. But, well, no, because they don't, they don't, they, they have their own memories. But, but you know, the, I remember, uh, and these are guys like, I remember Dorian Anderson, who's still today, you know, uh, a guy that I really, really respect. Well, he was a lieutenant. He wrestled for West Point. He used to work out with a wrestling team. Uh, and I want to say he was a second lieutenant at the time. But I remember all these guys when, you know, I don't know if I asked them about West Point, but I don't think they had a very good experience there because uh, none of them, I mean, they were like, I, what I remember is don't go. <laughs> right? So, I, you know, West and Point. And you didn't? No, well, West Point was not, I don't know if I would have gotten into West Point, but I, I do know that I didn't even pursue it because, you know, the, the lieutenants that went there were like, oh, no, don't do that. Um, and so really didn't have a good plan. Uh, you know, we were in Europe and uh, back in the day, and I think it still exists, but back in the day, it was a hopping place, the University of Maryland in Munich. Uh, really, oh, wow. really neat place. So anyways, that's where a bunch of the Army kids went. So I went there um, and, uh, you know, got my first taste of college and, uh, and then eventually went to uh, Xavier University um, along with uh, one of my sisters. Uh, walked by, you know, my dad paid for that first year. And uh, he's like, hey, man, he goes, you're going to have to pay for the, you know, the next two years. And I walked by the ROTC place. <laughs> you know, Xavier's not a big campus. And they were, they, it said free education. <laughs> I'm like, hey, that's kind of that's kind of <laughs> what I'm going to need here. Uh, but I did. I walked in there and, uh, you know, uh, fast forward 39 uh, years, uh, 39 years later, there is uh, uniform number seven. All my enlisted aides, you know, he's a little obsessive compulsive too. He numbers them all. But number seven is now sitting at Xavier University. Uh, oh, you wow. Know, oh. As the, uh, you well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, the first four star general <laughs> in the history of, you know, Xavier. So. Did your dad have any consternation about you becoming an officer? Actually, uh, he wouldn't let me do it otherwise. You know, um, you know, because at some point, you know, I think, you know, he pissed me off about something. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm joining the Army. And he goes, oh, no, you're not. Right? He goes, you're not going to, if you're going to join the Army, you're going to do it as an officer. So. Wow. And so how was that, though, um, as he was a command sergeant major and then you came up through the ranks as an officer? How was that for you? Uh, you know, so uh, I got a lot of very close friends in the Army. One of them's Paul Funk, uh, the TRADOC commander, General Funk. You know, General Funk and I talk about, you know, um, um, you know, talking about, maybe even writing about our experiences because, you know, I grew up on, I told you the, you know, where the NCOs grew yeah. up, where all the tough kids, you know, and I tell Paul Funk, you know, he grew up where all the officers, <laughs> you know, grew up. Um, uh, what, what I will tell you is it certainly helps me appreciate, um, you know, uh, everything that I have. Um, 
you know, it helped, it has helped me to kind of reconcile the difference. I mean, we, we really have come a long way in the Army in terms of how we treat our, uh, our senior non-commissioned officers, or our senior uh, non-commissioned officers. I remember at Fort Benning, growing up, the only difference between the Sergeant Major, the post Sergeant Major's duplex and everybody else's duplex is he had a street light in his backyard for barbecues <laughs> and stuff. Uh, but then when my dad was the post sergeant major there, um, you know, had a big house. Uh, and, and I really do think, you know, over the years, uh, our Army has figured out that, uh, you know, what drives our Army and what makes our Army the best Army in the world is not necessarily the officers in it. It's our non-commissioned officer corps uh, and our senior non-commissioned officers and, uh, you know, how valuable, you know, they are to us. Um, but no, you know, uh, as, a, as a lieutenant, it was a little tough, you know, being a lieutenant in the same, you know, division where your dad's a sergeant major. The difference is, you know, as a general, and, and I know this now, my son's in the Army, right? right. Um, and West so, Point, right? Huh? West Point. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, as a sergeant major, you can do stuff for your son. You know, mm -hmm. I'd go home at, I can remember as a uh, company XO there in this third of the 319th, I can remember coming home and saying, Dad, we've got a big uh, inspection coming up, and I really I can't find this paint. We can't find it anywhere. He would just listen, and then, you know, the next day I'd get a call. I mean, from the, you know, deep throat uh, warrant officer who won't tell me who he is, but <laughs> telling me that, hey, I'm going to give you the last 25 gallons of this paint that we have in the division. Don't right. tell anybody where you got it from. Uh, so, so, you know, um, I, I think my dad could do more, could get away with more, um, you know, than, than general officers. And, you know, what I found is that, uh, you know, uh, most of uh, these young kids don't need, they don't need any help from their parents. I mean, they're so good and they're so committed and, you know, like me, I joined the Army and I was very comfortable wearing a uniform. I was very comfortable because the same values that, uh, that we have in the Army, the values that I grew up with my whole life. Um, so in, in many ways, it was a very, very easy transition. All right. Now, you've said in a previous interview that being one of only nine African-American four-star generals is something that you never had really contemplated. So now that you've reached that, um, how do you hope that your legacy helps other African-American soldiers? Yeah, you know, that's something I think a lot about, too, because it's... Um, you know, there are some things that I do very well, and then there's some things that I don't do very well. And one of the things that, you know, I've never done very well uh, is, um, you know, I don't think I've been a great mentor. Now, what I, what I have tried to do is I have tried to set an example um, to where you didn't have to, I didn't have to talk to you. All you had to do is look and see what I was doing, listen to what I was saying. Um, but one of the things that uh, I've really tried to be better at, you know, the more senior uh, I've become, is uh, reaching out more. Um, you know, as a lieutenant colonel, colonel, especially if you think about even in the early years, I mean, my first, you know, 10 years in the Army, I spent mostly uh, in the Ranger Regiment. And, um, I mean, I really didn't have any black officer friends until I went to the Command and General Staff College because they weren't in my units. They weren't, you know? And, uh, and, and to this day, you know, my lifelong, uh, you know, uh, friends, uh, the black friends that I have, I met them all uh, at the Command and General Staff College. And, um, uh, and I remember, you know, uh, 
this, uh, the uh, I think it was oh, I can't remember who it was. I do know who it was. I'm not going to say his name though. But anyways, I got a, I got visited while I was at uh, at uh, Leavenworth, and uh, you know the comment was this guy was working at uh, and it's somebody I love and respect and admire. But at that time he was a major and. You know, I'm a captain promotable, and he goes, hey, he goes, it's time for you to start giving back. And his point was, it was time for me to start reaching out to people. He goes, hey, we gave you a pass all those years. <laughs> you know, you've been hanging out in the Ranger Regiment, but now it's time for you to, for you to, for you to give back. And so I've tried, I've tried to do that. You know, I've uh, tried to take advantage of, you know, the positions that I have. I mean, uh, not only, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, the position, it's really all of the help that comes with it. You know, I got a lot of people that help me do things every day. And, and so reaching out, making time, uh, you know, for folks has always been um, uh, important uh, for me. You know, the other thing I've never really, really done well, and, and again, you know, it'll be people that, that uh, write their own books and, and uh, you know, if they choose to talk about Mike Garrett, but, you know, I've never... I've always, uh, I've always tried to be uh, just a soldier, you know. Uh, you know, not a colonel, not a general. Uh, I mean, there are some moments, um, you know, when you can't help uh, but maybe be a little prideful. Um, but for the most part, I really have spent my whole career just trying to be, you know, uh, a soldier. and. Um, and that's what I've tried to do. And so when my daughter, uh, on the day that, uh, and I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know this. And I got a note from, again, one of the folks that I just uh, that has helped me throughout my career. And he sent me a nice note. And he goes, "Congratulations, number nine. And I didn't really know he was talking about it first. Um, and uh, you know, I shared that with my daughter. And, uh, and then she and I kind of talked about it and the significance of it. I mean, think of how long we just celebrated 250 years, right? Uh, and our army uh, is as old as our, as older than our country. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that many years, you know, we've only had nine, um, you know, black four-star generals. Um, and so, you know, what I want to do is I want to make sure there's number 10 and number 11, number 12. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's what I want to do. The other thing that I want to do is, you know, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, young uh, people of color, um, you know, can look up uh, to the very top of their chain of command, you know, and see themselves. You know, that's the whole point of, you know, our, our diversity and the importance of diversity uh, in our Army. I mean, uh, it's going to take every single person uh, that we can recruit uh, and train and keep in our army, uh, and you know what what uh, you know makes our army the army it is, you know this 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 incredibly talented non-commissioned officer corps, but also the diversity you know that we have the diversity the ethnic diversity the thought diversity the gender diversity, I mean it's all very very important um, for our army. Absolutely. Well, sir, I think that we've taken up enough of your time today. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add before we finish up? Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, as I said before, these are, I think these are good sessions. And, um, you know, I'm always looking for ways to communicate, you know, with the uh, Forces Command. Uh, and depending on, you know, how you count it, it's over 700,000 soldiers. And, 
you know, a big chunk of that has, uh, has her own three and four star bosses. When you look at, uh, you know, General Hokinson and Jensen for the guard and General Daniels, you know, for the reserves. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're responsible for everybody that, uh, you know, deploys, uh, everybody that, that has to, to be ready. Uh, and also, you know, the 10,000 civilians that we have in our formation and, and all of their families. Um, and so I'm always looking for, and so if somebody's got a, you know, and that's why, I, one of the reasons why I agreed to do this. I mean, if this helps me, you know, reach more people, uh, and if sharing, you know, my experience is helpful, then, um, you know, I'm more than willing to do this. Um, it has been uh, really an honor and a blessing for me to, to serve in the Army. You know, um, 30, I'm in my 37th year of, of service. Uh, but as I tell people, you know, I just turned 59 last month and all I've ever known is the Army, you know, so my whole life. And so I, I, am, uh, I am blessed to be here and, uh, you know, there's nothing uh, I enjoy more than uh, taking care of our soldiers. Um, and uh, I, look forward to, I look forward to seeing how this comes out. We do too. <laughs> 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 Thanks again, sir. We yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah. And now you're in another place in history, too. You're the first guest on the very there first go. Course there, we there we go. Yep. There we go. There we go. There we go. Next you. time we get to have some coffee. Actually, Absolutely. water. A couple, yeah, we actually, a couple snacks we actually or something. talked about that. Snacks would be good. Yeah. It would probably not you don't sound crunch too into good your, on the... Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Nobody likes to hear a chewer. Yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, okay. Scratch the snacks. No snacks. No snacks. All right. Thanks again, sir. No, you guys are welcome. Before we sign off this month, we wanted to take a moment to talk about the COVID-19 vaccine. We recently spoke with Colonel Don Robinson from the Force Comm Surgeon's Office about the vaccine and the need for more people to get it. Here's what he had to say. Colonel Robinson, why is it so important for so many of us to get the vaccine? Well, it, and again, this is what you hear on TV. You hear about herd immunity. Right. And, and what, what herd immunity, what it really is, it's, it's enough people have uh, uh, protection from the virus to protect the others who don't have protection from the virus. Um, you know, because you're not going to get, everyone's not going to, you know, everyone's not going to get the vaccine. Right. And so, so herd immunity basically stops the, you know, if you think of it like this, if, if the virus doesn't have enough people to, to latch on to because, again, we're the vector. We're, we're what's keeping this virus alive. Were it not for us, the virus would just die and go away. So, but if you don't have, if we're not available, then the virus just goes away, right? So herd immunity is, is looking at whether or not we are available right, for the virus to sustain itself in the environment. So if enough people get the vaccine, then the virus can't sustain itself because it can't jump from person to person. Makes sense. What would your message to soldiers be about the importance of getting the vaccine? Well, my message would be, you know, don't think about yourself. This is about this is about your teammates. This is about this is about your battle buddy. 
this is about your community. Um, if you if you think of it like that, if you think about how am I protecting uh, my family, my teammates, and my community, um, then you get the shot. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Dr. Robinson. We really appreciate it. Next month, we will celebrate Women's History Month. Join us as we introduce you to women serving in units across ForceCom and learn more about their jobs and what they do to contribute to readiness. And in between episodes, you can keep up with everything happening in ForceCom and our units on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thank you for listening. We really hope you tune in again for our next episode. I'm sure we'll have a couple of surprises in store for you too. See you then.